What's up, everyone? Just say thank you for tuning in today. You enjoy the show, enjoy the content. Just please make sure to rate, subscribe, and follow the page on Instagram at Overcoming the Divide. What's up, everyone? Today we have on Parneen Sohaili. Parneen is a returning guest. She was recently featured on Chaos in Afghanistan, which focused on the fallout after the United States pulling out from Afghanistan. And she was also featured on the episode regarding Palestinian and the Israeli conflict, both very informative episodes. And if you have any interest in those topics, please check them out. Parnian recently graduated from Penn State, as uh, did myself, and studied political science and minored in Spanish. So once again, thank you for being here today, Parnian. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be back and continue the conversations. Yeah, of course. So as I said, everyone, the mini soap was going to have was kind of like callous into a bigger, broader episode that is going to speak on things just relating to misinformation, how it's kind of a term that's thrown around, but really applies to everyone and how that relates to the, not just the media, but also the government as well. So Parneen, I guess as an opening statement slash question, what do you think about the current Joe Rogan controversy and how do you think that plays into broader society? Excellent question. I think that um, I personally am of the belief that who thinks Joe Rogan is a dangerous person or spreads dangerous information um, doesn't actually listen to his podcast, at least not a long form version that it's intended to be listened to. I think they've um, cherry-picked clips of the show that they've seen um, put either on Twitter or other social media websites and kind of formed judgments based on those two-minute or three-minute clips. Um, and I think that that says a lot about where we're at in society today because I think a lot of people do that um, with things that are on a greater and even smaller scale than a podcast. I think a lot of the times people take their first impression of something and run with it or take um, limited information that they have about something and judgments prior to making sure they have all the information. And I think that there's a lot of great examples of that from the Joe Rogan podcast um, because a lot of these little clips of him that have gone viral for saying something um, quote unquote controversial, if you listen to the full two and a half hours of that episode, you'll see that he either explains himself and that clip was taken out of context or he contradicts himself um, throughout the episode. You know, I don't think, I think as someone who I listen to Joe Rogan um, pretty often, he's always someone who says um, not an authority on this information. And so I think it's kind of interesting how he's been so adamant about not being an authority on that. And yet media has still kind of forced him to be. Yes. He's mentioned himself that he's not someone who's ever planned this out to be a person that millions of people look to for information and guidance on say how to live their lives. But nonetheless, he's sort of in a position like that. But I would also say besides a few subjects such as say fitness and dieting and also just say overall health, he doesn't really try to portray himself as an expert either. It's the people who are coming on there, say the experts. And just because someone's an expert in their field, say, doesn't mean that they're not disagree with through their peers and counterparts. So I think that's also worth mentioning. When you brought up that these little clips are like taken out of context, I think it's kind of um, interesting because when you talk about small clips and small pieces of information, that's all that you get with the news is small little clips, mainstream news, like news interviews are just two, three minutes. And it's kind of hard to really deep dive a topic of any sort when you are only have a few minutes to discuss it. So it's almost that, as I mentioned before, that in the mini so that people's say, um, love of Rogan, for lack of a better phrase, is more or less the rejection of mainstream media and that kind of mode of information. People don't want to hear like the inflammatory two or three minutes of how this uh, issue is just so downhill and how everything's terrible. They'd rather hear maybe a two, three hour conversation over the course of 
a week or a few days that provide some value over, say, a number of topics and issues. So that's interesting. And it's also pretty like obvious to anyone paying attention that Joe's Rogan, Joe Rogan's say, controversy and like how the then the after um, the misinformation thing didn't really stick. He got hit with um, a video confrontation of him saying the M word like 20 times, I believe it was completely uh, out of context. Not now that's not to say it's good to say in any context, but it was um, obviously some kind of hit job because it just came run one after the other. And it's interesting because you could see ha- how this was orchestrated. So are you familiar with Patriot Takes, the account that released a video? Um, I'm familiar with, uh, I believe it's a, a black female musician who um, created the video. I'm familiar with her, but not so much. Patriot Takes? Yes. So I believe Patriot Takes was the first person to at least the video I'm referring to with um, that word uh, mm-hmm. being said by Joe Rogan like 20 or so times. Right. That was, I think, I believe originally released from Patriot Takes. And Patriot Takes partners with this page, this page Myas Touch, which is pretty much a Democratic super PAC ran by three brothers and who received millions in, um, say, donations for ads and, say, their mission. And they are the same people who have been targeting uh, Barstool for um, recent, say, allegations. So it's kind of like all ties in. This all ties in to, in my opinion, the narrative. And when you step out of the narrative, you become a target. You become a target for everyone. And it's not whether Joe Rogan say racist or he is a misinformer. It's that does Joe Rogan comply? And Joe Rogan does not comply, just like Barstool doesn't comply. And let me tell you about just a obscene use of misinformation by CNN just a couple months ago was when Joe Rogan did in fact have COVID and they were spouting uh, Brian Seltzer, the clown he is, was spouting that that Joe Rogan was taking ivermectin, the horse dewormer, which was just a complete and utter lie. It was nonsensical, but they said it nonetheless. So I would like to hear your thoughts on that and how, I guess, mainstream media is so out of touch, but with people but still expect somehow to say these things and people not to wake up and pay attention to them. Yeah, I think um, I'm familiar with the horse dewormer story. And I think that my favorite response to that was, I'm not sure if Joe Rogan himself, this was his original response or if he saw it somewhere else and then responded with this. But he basically said that, saying that um, ivermectin is the same as horse dewormer is saying that someone who drinks water is drinking engine coolant um, that's meant for a car. Like, yes, you can use water to cool down an engine in a car, but that's not, that's not what water's for. And um, mm-hmm. I thought that that was a really comical analogy given the way that CNN ran with that story. Um, But yeah, I think another thing that you said that I am very sensitive to is the, um, this was orchestrated. That's the word you used. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that the media really wants everything to be black or white. Either Joe Rogan said the N-word and so he's a racist, or he said this about vaccines and he's spreading misinformation. And if you kind of question the gray area that that might fall into, you're also labeled a racist and a this. And they're kind of fostering this environment where people feel really unsafe to discuss certain topics. Um, And I think that really concerns me. I think regardless of what aisle or what end of the political spectrum you fall on, um, because I'm very liberal about certain issues and I'm rather conservative about other things, but I think no matter how you're looking at it, any atmosphere that's trying to silence people that's trying to make you feel uncomfortable discussing a certain topic um i think that that's something everybody should be really concerned about i completely agree and i think it's something that people say who gear towards the left generally might not all because you have bill maher who calls it out constantly he's pretty far on the left but you have i think some people on the left who gear um or generally maybe more okay with what's going on because it's not really affecting them 
personally and their views. But the big thing of this is that this what goes around comes around. So say it's happening to people like who are on the right right now. There's nothing to say that in five and ten, five to ten years that won't happen to people on the left. And you don't want that to happen to anyone. That's the thing. That's the scary part. And it's almost that, okay, big tech leans pretty far left. And that's, um, and that's like, that's the reality of it. But who's to say in a couple of years, government doesn't nationalize some policies and they don't get involved. And then what happens in government every four years, two years, it switches. Republicans get in charge. So this game that people are playing with censoring and to think it's going to benefit their agenda is just such a myopic take on it because one day it's going to come around and get you as well. It's, it's very concerning. And, um, I would like, yeah. And, Mm -hmm. oh, sorry. I was just going to add that. I think a large reason why people on the left are so comfortable accepting this is because they've turned it into a sort of virtue signaling or like a moral issue where, if you feel comfortable silencing people who you believe are saying racist and homophobic and all these awful terms, if you, if you connect those terms to their words and then admit that you feel comfortable silencing them, you kind of have a moral high ground where like, yes, I feel comfortable yes. silencing a racist. I feel comfortable censoring a homophobe. Um, but then you're not really examining like, the actual intentions behind those actions. Um, and I think it's really easy to just label something at surface value without, again, diving into the gray area of it. It's also another issue I have with it is when you say these things as racist, homophobe, transphobic, anything of that sort, you're, and it's not applied correctly, such in my opinion, Joe Rogan's case and other people's cases as well, you're diluting the term. You dilute it tremendously because reasonable people, most reasonable people are like, okay, I Rogan's defense comes from people of all backgrounds. So, I mean, I take, I watch a ton of his content and I also take people who spend a ton of time around him as like pretty good sources as well. So with that, you're kind of diluting the term because these terms should be used for actual like racist people who think they are better than others because of their race. And they kind of treat others because of that. And they use derogatory language such as racial slurs. Those terms, those labels such as racist should be reserved for those people, for those types of like say terrible people. But when you are so cavalier with the term in today's society, you are diluting it. You're completely taking away from it and no one's taking you ser- no one's taking it seriously anymore. And it's, yeah. it's very up- upsetting, but also just concerning for like what's a uh, telltale sign for. Yeah. I actually wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, because I don't think, I don't think a reasonable person can look at Joe Rogan's life and his interactions and his entire, you know, um, discography. Is that the right word? Yeah. No, that'd be the right uh. word. Um, there's no one, there's no reasonable person who can look at this man's life history and say, yeah, he's a racist. He's a discriminatory person. You can look at it and say, he's made harmful jokes. He has made comments and he wasn't really aware of where those came from. You can, I mean, there's so many ways to delve into problematic things that people have said without labeling them as some sort of ist or a phobe. Because Mm -hmm. then I think you're actually fostering an environment where people can feel comfortable to come forward and say, you know what? Yeah, I have also said problematic things. And I'd like to examine why those things are problematic. I'd like to, you know, have an open and honest conversation about how far we've come as a country in terms of racial issues and things like that. Um, But I think when you're so quick to just call everyone a racist for every slightly controversial thing they've ever done exactly like you said you're making people um more closed off to having these conversations yeah and um i want to like further this with like now like you have the press secretary jen saki commenting on it when she was asked how like the role of big tech uh plays a part in this i'm paraphrasing of course 
um, she replied like, oh, uh, disclaimers and everything of that sort's good, but we want to see more. We want to see more from these uh, big tech tech corporations and curbing uh, misinformation and disinformation. With that, I just, that just boggles my mind because you recently have Jen Psaki putting out these press releases saying that Ukraine, that a Russian invasion on Ukraine is imminent, yet you have people in the Ukrainian government saying themselves that that's inflammatory rhetoric. That's not true. We're seeing stuff completely different than what you're saying. So how is that not labeled misinformation? There's, it's just, There's a lot of, not only in the Ukraine response, but in the COVID response out of the Biden administration, there's been a lot of, I don't know if I'd call it misinformation, because I think there has to be an intent to deceive for something to be misinformation, but they definitely have contradicted themselves on things that they once called facts that are now no longer facts, and um there's so many examples with the vaccines, with the mask Mm. mandates, um, where the government has gone back on its word. And rather than say, we've gotten new information that has helped us reach new conclusions, um, they've made it into kind of a political game. And so I think that when she says, we'd like to see big tech doing more, um, I personally see it as them kind of transferring the responsibility over and saying, well, it's not the government's job to correctly inform people. Um, It's not apparently journalists' job anymore to correctly inform people. It's Spotify and Twitter and Instagram's job to make sure that all the information is coming out accurately, Um, which again, to me, is just terrifying. It's terrifying because there, like I, when you brought up that um, now things are say put out as misinformation and uh, censored before, such as uh, if you have the vaccine, you can't get COVID. Like we, everyone knows that's like not true. And vaccines really aren't developed to like prevent like the disease itself or viruses prevent severe complications and death. Nonetheless, you would get like censored for that and that would be like taken down. But now um, it's widely acknowledged. I don't think it comes with like when they receive this information, I think it comes with like a force of hand. Mm-hmm. It went so known, went so undeniably known that this is a true fact, then like, oh, okay, now we're like, relax. It's almost like people have to pretty much bark at them for time on end. And when elections are coming up, then they kind of take a step back. You see several Democratic states now relaxing their mask mandates because they know in the midterms there's, uh, <laughs> there's something coming for them. So they're trying to like say save face prior to it. But no, it's it's that's exactly what they're doing. They're pushing off responsibility and they want to see like private companies say censor more in uh, some regard, of course. And I think that the moral, again, the moral aspect of it that they're pushing is what really frightens me because six months ago or a year ago, if you were to question mask mandates, you were a selfish person who didn't care about your fellow citizen, who didn't care about infecting others who was comfortable killing innocent people. And today, if you question the mask mandates, most most reasonable people would agree with you, um, in my experience. And so to me, I'm not so upset about the difference of information we have about masks. Maybe a year ago, we thought they worked very well and we've done more research and we figured out they haven't. My issue is with the the virtue signaling and the, if you don't listen to the government today, you are a bad person. And if the government admits they were wrong a year later, we're just not even going to talk about it. We're going to brush it under the rug and we're going to act like nothing's even happening. I, I kind of feel crazy for like questioning all these forms of authority around me because I feel like everyone else has become so comfortable just accepting these crazy regulations and mandates and rules that make no sense. Um, everyone's just kind of going along with it. Yeah. And um, when you point out like, because that is a fair point that you made, I'm glad you made it as well, that 
when what comes in the future, just because something was good for the past doesn't mean it's good for the future. And that could be true about like the mask mandate when it, like COVID first happened, like, and there's really minimal information um, at large to the public and say to the top like leading scientists and agencies, then maybe it, it was good then for a time being, but in the future when uh, more recent studies are done on a wider scale and do more of a deep dive, then we realize eh, they're not really what we thought they were. Now, right. but the thing was, it's not that like the new information and the change in policy that like upsets me so much, unless you're ignoring it till like at this time, it's that people at the time before when we were at that kind of like policy point where like masks were like pretty strictly enforced, you couldn't question them. And it, it's almost like the quote of like, no belief and no opinion put forward is uh, infallible and above being questioned or subjugated to criticism. But yet that would happen. And I mean, I can't stand the virtual si signaling that would happen with, like, say, the masks in the previous. Like, if you didn't want to wear one, especially outside, if you looked at deemed selfish and labeled all these, I like, say, harmful things. But now it's like, yeah, why would you wear one outside? It's like almost like widely like acknowledged. It's like you're wearing one outside. Why? Like it, it's just crazy how such a policy shift happens. And like I, and like we said, it comes to information, but it's not the policy switch that's the worst. Like that's the pro uh, problematic issue here. It's that speaking otherwise before was net, was censored and demonized. Any, like you said, there's no idea that is so controversial that it shouldn't even be discussed. Um, I don't, I don't think that there's any, a great example is the lab leak theory. Um, there were multiple individuals who were banned permanently from Twitter for discussing that theory. Um, and now it's something that we can openly talk about. Um, and so I just think that I think we've come to a point in society where, yes, we recognize that words have a lot of impact and words can be very powerful, but I think we're kind of overcorrecting now um, to where we're trying to censor certain speech and certain types of conversations um, because, you know, those conversations are just too powerful and words have a lot of impact. Um, I don't think that's the right direction to be going with that sentiment. Mm -hmm. I think kind of the opposite, like the more you talk about something, if it really is at its core ridiculous and wrong, the more you talk about it, that will come to surface. I believe that. Um, I think the more you try and silence it and the more you make people feel like they can't talk about it, you're almost validating that theory even more. You're making it mm -hmm. seem like there's truth to it. They have a it. point. They have a point. Yep. Right. Yeah, because why else would you silence it? I think it plays into a larger role, which I always find insulting, especially when we uh, to bring back the, the Joe Rogan thing, is I always hear the claim that people, like his audience takes his words as a gospel and his um, uh, experts' words as a gospel, which I've said previously that's a very intellectually lazy argument because there's no evidence to suggest that but also too it's so insulting to the individual like yeah we all acknowledge that there are people out there who do not do the research and are say easily um <laughs> be the word i guess tricked into like believing st like stupid things like you have kuna like QAnon out there so right. i mean that's valid nonetheless though to like broadly apply that blanket to like everyone listening or even to a large portion without really even doing any kind of like research is so like pathetic. And like I said, insulting the people like saying, oh, his audience takes his word as gospel. No, people took CNN as gospel for and Fox and MSNBC. And that's why we find ourselves in this mess because it's all partisan politics. When, when the pandemic people, like you have people terrified my one friend, Auntie Andrea, brought up before when the pandemic first happened that CNN was like putting like the deaths on like their um, on their like board, like the stock market, like it was just blowing up and blowing up. And one of, when the CDC released uh, the top three like symptoms or like conditions when people were uh, admitted to the hospital, fear was like the second one. A anxiety, fear and anxiety it was. And I mean, CNN's is like mainstream news. I think if you did the research, I'm not gonna make the like 
claim like outright, but if you did the research, you could see like someone's time like watching, say CNN or Fox or MSNBC and their anxiety levels, I think they would coincide pretty like pretty well, like a positive correlation there. So it's it's a two-way street. This doesn't just apply to a podcaster. Yeah. And I think it is really interesting the conspiracies that we um cherry pick to kind of mediate and not mediate like QAnon has so many Facebook forums and I think because of the level of ridiculousness that most people see Mm -hmm. it I mean I would compare it to like flat earther theorems you know um yeah if you want to believe that go ahead but nobody really is like starting advocacy advocacy groups to convince flat earthers that they're wrong. (laughs) That's a group of people where we're like, you be wrong and you go ahead and be happy with that because we've let them just like, we've let science disprove their theory. And so, yeah, they can talk about it as much as they want. And nobody says that that's harmful discourse. Um, not to <laughs> compare mm-hmm. COVID conspiracies to flat earth conspiracies, but I just think that if you're so sure behind the science of something being correct, you would not be going to such lengths to prevent certain groups from discussing it. I think if you were really confident in that science, mm-hmm. you would let them discuss it at length because you knew that the ridiculousness would come to surface. It's it's actually funny because this just came to me because you know what people would say to that? Well, people are dying because of vaccine hesitancy. You know, people are like dying and like, that's fair. Good point. But those same people would be the same people saying, oh yeah, people who don't take the vaccine should get fired. Maybe they shouldn't even receive Medicare and they should like have these other say uh, things to make a living taken away from them. So it's like, oh, you really care about their health and their well-being, yet you would fire them. You won't let, admit them in the hospitals. So it's such like, it's such a paradox as it's like, yeah. oh, but people are dying from vaccine hence hesitancy because they're not getting the vaccine. And yeah, that's true. Yet you are the one, the proponent saying that they shouldn't be admitted to like Medicare or, or, or like in hospitals and they shouldn't be um, at their jobs. So it says a lot about those kind of people who are on both sides of that uh, policy point. Yeah. And like you said, I think that when power positions change, the Democrats are really going to regret some of the strategies that they're putting into place right now. Um, because the, the cherry picking of what we're going to be, um, morally virtuous over and what we're not like right now, Joe Rogan is a bigger headline in American media than any issue that's going on in China, whether it be the concentration camps, the lack of democracy, the blatant censorship going on there, um, there's no mainstream American media network that's comfortable talking about that right now. Um, I think NBC is actually doing the opposite where they're like actively pushing Chinese propaganda. Um, in what way? In, I saw a clip of, the, of them discussing the Olympics and they called China, quote, champions of the developing world, end quote. Um, that's... And I'm wondering how an American, a major American media organization could call China the champion of the developing world um, and then also engage in any sort of like moral controversy, sur- controversy surrounding Joe Rogan and disinformation. I yeah. just, not that the two are too connected, they're not very related, but I just think the way that you cherry pick what moral issue you're going to care about and mm-hmm. what moral issue you're not even going to touch on, it's alarming. Yeah, no, it is. And it's almost because, like, there's obviously ulterior motives when it comes to this. When you discuss China, they have a lot of money, and they obviously pay a lot of people to say and not say certain things. But at the same time, that can't, like, that doesn't stop the fact that they are for all intents and purposes, committing a genocide in the Xinjiang province of uh, northwestern China. That's happening, nonetheless, no matter how much money they funnel into 
uh, American companies and American individuals. So that's still a reality. I mean, how about when John Cena apologized for saying that uh, his movie, one of his subpar movies, would be the first, like, if he first broadcasted or li uh, played live in uh, Taiwan because he mm -hmm. acknowledged Taiwan as a country. And they profusely apologized in Mandarin, which is impressive. They speak Mandarin nonetheless. But it's, yeah, it's the end of China. Like, no, that's such a good point. I mean, you have China committing a genocide. You have a potential war, even though it seems like the, I don't want to like add any flame to like the inflammatory rhetoric, but still a potential conflict nonetheless in Russia and you with Russia and Ukraine. And then you also have like domestic politics, such as like major popular things in the Build Back Better plan, and they just didn't get passed with, and they're popular among like the vast majority of the American public. So instead of covering certain things and failures of the uh, administration, they decide to spend their time on censoring or attempting to censor a podcaster who, for all, if you listen to him, and like you brought, brought up earlier, he doesn't really have an agenda. He's not going in saying, oh, I want this conversation to go this way. He's no. simply asking questions, and the person that is featured on that episode is responding, and they're having a conversation. I actually think it's really funny because a lot of the conservatives that are aligning themselves with Joe Rogan would be absolutely shocked to see how liberal he actually is. Mm -hmm. I mean, Joe Rogan was considering voting for Bernie Sanders. Um, he, I mean, this isn't really like a liberal policy, but one thing I love about him is that he's always um, attacking factory farming in America. And talking mm -hmm. about how that is like, I don't know how that ties into him being liberal, but he has a lot of opinions. Well, he's not kept the status quo and the status right. quo is usually associated with conservatives. Right. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. He has a lot of opinions. I think that a lot of the people who are um, so openly criticizing him would actually agree with if they took the time. So yeah, I think the word you use orchestrated at the beginning of the podcast has just really stuck with me because it does feel so orchestrated. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the part of it that as a reasonable, sensible person, I can, I feel like I'm being manipulated by the media. Um, I and think I don't it, like that. Yeah, it's like, I want to say like flagrant, audacious, like um, attempts by the like media and other actors to try to like censor censor someone who does not fit into the narrative. It's just so outright. It's almost obnoxious. It's like they couldn't do it in a more, say, um, clandestine manner and not be so sloppy about it. Like the fact that everyone knows or, or who wants to know that video that was originally released by Patriot Takes dates or stems back to um, this Dem super PAC ran by three brothers received millions from like donors who were millionaires and have um funding and capital to do so. So it's, yeah, it's just so sloppy to me. And so like audacious, like I said, moving forward with that, I wanted to hear your thoughts on what do you think will be the outcome with it? Do you think, because it seems like an ongoing situation. It doesn't seem like it's been like resolved Rogan Spotify. It seems like it's being like maybe um, potentially addressed, but it doesn't seem like there's any kind of like, it seems like it's still currently in the works. I know that Spotify has removed 113 of Joe Rogan's episodes off of the app, but I think that all of those are related to slurs or offensive language he used. I don't think any of them are related to potential misinformation, um, yeah, which I'm okay with. Yeah, no, I think, and I think Rogan also like okayed it. However, I will say to that point that there's an episode with uh, Kyle Kulinski, I believe his name is, mm -hmm. and he is featured on um, the show Kyle and Friends with Crystal Ball, who's someone I also very enjoy um, listening, who's on the left. But I know that episode has none, like, from what she said, and trustworthy person, that has no like racial slurs on it whatsoever. And that was removed. But and but some of the content in that episode was um, was relating to like Kyle going at the Saudi government for say a bunch alleging or um, alleging a bunch of things, and it was just recently uncovered that this uh, Spotify um, is now open in Saudi Arabia for podcasters. I think. Mm. The, so I mean that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down, and like I said, that's just kind of like 
that's a fact what I said all happened, but in terms of uh, correlation and causation, that's obviously up for debate. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I know that the Spotify um, CEO is somewhat conservative um, and has stated that he's not really interested in controlling conversations. Um, so I'm not sure how receptive he will be to uh, the media pressure mm-hmm. that's going on right now. Um, I heard I heard a good good point. Um, from Breaking Points, which I listen to on like a daily basis and really informative um, show they do. But I was hearing from them. They made a great point that Rogan will be fine either way. So say he leaves the podcast, he's going to take all his fans with him and more. And then, but if he doesn't, then he doesn't. And that's fine as well. But it's for the people who are like, say new and up and coming and don't really have, um, the good graces of Spotify and other big tech platforms that could be affected down the line. So say someone, I don't know, say potentially like breaking points. So like they're large, but they're not like huge. They uh, go find themselves under like the, like under some heap for whatever reason and Spotify or any big tech uh, company does a quick like risk reward analysis. And it's like, this is not worth holding on to them. Let's just get them out of here. So I hope Spotify CEO is holding out say because of personal beliefs and convictions and not because of like the money that Rogan brings for them on like a daily basis. But that's kind of hard to like, that's almost like wishful naive thinking. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm really skeptical of, I don't, because all of these tech companies are private corporations, right? So you Mm -hmm. can't really tell them, oh, you have to allow this person or you have to. Mm -hmm. But I am really skeptical of allowing these big tech companies to have so much um, say over the matter just because of the influence that they have. So like, for example, let's say... Spotify kicks Rogan off and Joe Rogan wants to create his own forum. He has to have that forum be allowed in the app store. So he has to get Apple's okay. And if Apple for any reason decides that they also want to prevent him from delivering whatever message, they could just ban his app from the app store. And then anybody with an iPhone can no longer, it's just the, the reach that they have in every American individual's life at this point has gotten, I think, to the point where it's really hard to try and think of a solution without going authoritarian. (laughs) It really is. But there has to be some sort of middle ground where we can't just say like these huge tech companies that have such expansive influence over everything just get their own discretion I don't think that's the solution, but they are also private corporations. And it's a really good point. And I think contemporary point that you bring up, because I mean, like you said, like these big tech platforms have, have so much influence. Like, why do you think that countries such as Russia and China use them as um, like mean or modes to campaign on like campaign misinformation and say uh, troll and like, I remember uh, finding out that like 19 out of the 20 Christian like sites on say Facebook, it was were actually like troll farms based out like Russia. So obviously they have like broad significance across the globe and um, they play a key part in elections and other uh, serious matters. So, I mean, the significance and importance is there, but as you brought up, if you let the government get involved, I'm very skeptical of the government. Like, as um, am I. Yeah, I'm very skeptical of government because at least in private corporations, there's names. Like I know like Spotify, see, I don't actually know his name off the top of my head. I could find out, but I don't know the person's name behind the computer working in the government, like say surveilling or doing something that I probably wouldn't find like too appealing or like in my favor type thing. So I think, yeah. So I think the main message here without being too clunky about it is that at least with private corporations, there's more accountability, but in government, it's just one overarching bureaucracy and there's no accountability. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, um, did you see, oh, to go off a quick different topic, 
Do you see um the congressional hearing with Ted Cruz and this spokesperson from the FBI about the regarding the January sixth uh, insurrection riots? I've seen clips of it, but I haven't seen the whole interaction. So to briefly touch on this, so if FBI spokesperson was um, virtually attending this congressional hearing, and Ted Cruz asked, um, "What is? Did he has a number of questions, but all relating to um, did FBI, did any FBI agents or informants partake in acts of violence on January 6th? And he asked like a number of questions relating to the one I just mentioned, and she responds to all of them. I can't answer that. And that's when I'm saying, like, why can't you, an- like, it's just almost like the secrecy of behind things. Like, right. Yeah, like Ray Epps, another guy who people thought was a Fed who attended and was a big, like, say, um, excuse me, perpetrator in the insurrection. People think he was a Fed because he was on the most wanted list, and then his name was randomly removed, and but he was in custody, but then he was released, and said, so why wasn't he charged? There's video of him doing these acts of violence so my point being is that i don't i'm like as we recently mentioned government is something that we're both very skeptical of and and that's why i'm like i'm very hesitant to say that to give them more money or to give them more power in any regard on the federal level or federal level especially because who knows what they're going to do with it my solution in my brain would just be to allow more speech I think if more people are having more conversations then um those will just get sifted naturally um but I don't know if I'm having too much faith in the general public and the media that they'll choose to consume um it's well then you did you see anything by rumble no how Rumble offered Joe Rogan $100 million to come. It was just a PR move. Yes, 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 yes. I did see that, actually. I saw a tweet from one of their but executives. Besides, like, the finan- financial loss, potentially, for Rogan for taking that deal, it's more or less that Rumble's, like, not going to become something that big. Like, it just won't – it doesn't have the cachet that these other apps do. So, such as, like, Parler, I think, is was another one. It's just, like, yeah, they stand for free speech, but – the people who are really going to take their platform over there are these kind of people on the fringe already of either side, but in this case, the right. And the people who are still like doing okay on Twitter, like I'm not moving my entire platform to Pollard. Maybe I'll comment on it or have a profile, but I'm going to still be active on Twitter, which still disincentivizes any user to leave Twitter, say, to go to Pollard if they're still active on Twitter. Yeah. So, the, so these, so these like creating these alternative, like, apps for free speech it just doesn't it just doesn't do it either to be honest right yeah i'm really i i'm not gonna sit here and act like i have any solution um that i could think of but i just um i i think a possible like it's not a solution it's not like anything um implement more policy or regulations but um i think a good one is for people just be more skeptical just more skeptical of like everything like even when I say skeptical of everything Mm -hmm. and also what I do a lot is I trace the money um which is kind of I think what you mentioned in this video um sorry what was the name of the organization that Myers Touch yes it was a Patriot Takes and they were connected Myers Touch right so yeah kind of following the money like that I find myself supporting just naturally a lot more grassroots organizations. And even if they're still on Twitter, which is not a grassroots organization, but grassroots journalists, ones who mm-hmm. I know are not accepting huge sums of donations. And I just would say, follow the money. Um, Cause I think that that's right now such a huge motivator in what kind of information is being presented where. Yeah, like, for example, you have um the Stock Act there, or like, they people are calling for that for um, politicians, congressmen, not to be able to trade stock while in their office. It kind of just makes sense. Like, no, I don't really understand why that's not a thing already. I don't think most people do. But then you see how many, like, individuals are complicit in, act, in like, trading stocks and how many were in violation of the one act that says you aren't supposed to, like, do it personally. So, yeah, as you said, like money controls a lot. I mean, and 
like Dan Crenshaw was someone I used to like kind of like enjoy and thought he was to his beliefs, like has convictions and stay to him. But then finding out a few things, like the one being the stock act, he was like the second behind Pelosi one. He was like the second biggest winner on like the S and P, like um, beating out like people on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, you were you were in the military, you didn't you never had a background in like trading stocks. Like, how did you know to do this and then like make X amount of money off it? Yeah. But I think, I don't know, one thing that I notice about you in particular is like you will take someone who you support, notice something that they did that you don't like or appreciate, and then change your mind. I think that right now in this society, it's it's become really hard to change your mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if you've openly showed support for either a party or a person or an idea, um, there's kind of this like stigma that comes around changing your mind or going back on that word or saying, oh, actually, so-and-so is not the person that I thought they were. Um, I think that's another big issue. It's also a societal thing too, because then you have like pre-notions. So, I mean, I'm hesitant to say I'm conservative or um, liberal. I think I fall somewhere between like most people, but obviously on some issues, I lean liberal and others, I lean conservative, like most people. Right. But if you were someone who just leaned one way or the other, nothing wrong with that. None, like nothing wrong with that at all. But once you say disclose that to someone, there's these assumptions made about you right off the bat, like how you think. And I, in my opinion, I don't think they're always like ones that paint you in a good light too. So if you were like, say someone who I was like, yeah, I'm on the left. People might think, oh, you don't like support police or something of like that nature. Not, not everyone, but I mean, just assumptions are made. And that just happens with people about anything. Yeah. And um, I mean, that plays into your point that people are kind of like, not like not exactly afraid, but are very reluctant to go back on like a former belief of theirs or conviction because of maybe embarrassment or like they refuse to acknowledge to now new reality that exists. Yeah. I think new reality is such a good reminder too, because um, I remember the first election that I actually have memory of is um, the 2008 election. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was very, um, it was very obvious to me that adults don't openly discuss politics. Like that's kind of a rude thing to ask about, kind Mm -hmm. of like a woman's age or how much money a person makes. Um, You didn't openly discuss who you were voting for or your political beliefs. Like even as a fifth grader, I remember picking up on that. Um, And then throughout my own political journey, I kind of watched in real time as that changed. Um, And I'm not saying I don't appreciate that change because I do think it's important to kind of hold people accountable for the policies that they support. Um, I just think we're holding the wrong people accountable because a lot of the people I find that we're like condemning for supporting conservative policies are other middle-class working Americans, I see very few people targeting um, actual policy makers. For example, Mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi, who was like the number one. She's openly guilty of insider trading and not one person in the major media is calling her out for it. Um, But Joe Rogan is a bad person because... (laughs) he asks questions on a podcast dude it's 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 insane how you just like put it together so like perfectly there because that's exactly how it like plays out yeah and as you said like you're we're holding the wrong people accountable and i mean i get frustrated a good amount of times with like some people's like rhetoric and i think i I, well i try to like ask myself is why am i getting frustrated at this Mm -hmm. and i think people who get frustrated at other people who vote conservative, I vote conservative a good amount, say label someone for and um, demonize them for like them can vote conservative. You should ask why are they voting conservative? Right. What, what, like what, especially if they're middle class and it's like similar backgrounds, it's like, all right, what's the disconnect here? Obviously there's a cultural one, but like what are the main issues that you are concerned with that you believe this person's going to help your life like with? Right. And um, it's just, it's just kind of, backwards how we hold the people who vote 
uh, or who vote for them accountable, I don't, they get one vote. But then the people who are actually in DC, they get they skate by like scot free, like right. and, but they're the ones who actually get to implement the change or in this case, not really implement any change. Exactly, and yeah, I think a lot of it is just like these stigmas. Um, another thing I was going to mention with that change of like going from not talking about your political beliefs at all to now being so open about them is I think a lot of people are I mean human beings in general are kind of lazy like in terms of heuristics and psychology we like to put things in a box um, and we like to make assumptions about things naturally and so I am hesitant to tell people that I listen to Joe Rogan and like Joe Rogan because there are qualities and traits that are now associated with people who listen to and like Joe Rogan that I don't think accurately represent me. Mm -hmm. So I don't tell people that that's the media I consume, which I think is a little bit backwards. Like if you tell someone I listen to Fox News versus I listen to NPR, there's like five at least (laughs) baseline traits that I now assume about you And a lot of people don't call it assuming. They just are like, oh, you listen to NPR, you're this kind of person. You listen to Fox News, you're this kind of person. Um, Yeah, it's like, like oh, it's like now I know everything about your life story. Yeah, and I think that that's really dangerous. I don't think that we should be aligning ourselves so strongly um, with just the media that we consume. Yeah, and from people, and I bet we're both guilty of like this ourselves. Like when we hear that too, it should be more about like, like say someone listens to CNN, like they love CNN. Like I mean, I would hear that, like oh my god, like yeah, right. I'm guilty of it myself. Exactly. But I, I mean, a better approach would be like, oh, why do you like CNN? You know, like like why? Yes. But the thing yes. is, that probably just leads to them saying more things I disagree with. But there's like there's there's like root causes to it. You know, like, and you, unless you have the time to really deep dive it, there's, it's not really worth it in the moment, at least, unless you want to sit down and have a conversation like we are now. But exactly. And passing by casual conversation, that's, that's not happening. Right. No, but I think we really covered a lot of like interesting top, like subtopics of the larger, say, Joe Rogan controversy, as well as like where it stems from and how as I mentioned earlier, how it plays in broader society today. Yeah, I think this conversation had a little less um, targeted direction than our last conversation. Oh, yeah. We covered so much more ground. Yeah, it's 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 difficult because when this this topic just it's um so it's Joe Rogan that we're say specifically start out with talking about, but it plays into multi it's a multifaceted issue there's exactly. other there's so many other players and actors involved yeah and i hope that we touched on the important ones enough one yeah yeah so, yeah thank you for being here today parney and thank you everyone for tuning in once again appreciate it